Shabbat Shalom, everyone. Yeshakoach. One word? Elections. <laughs> I know, actually, I was hoping that there wasn't going to be an election call because, honestly, since uh, November with the United States, and now apparently, well, not apparently, Israel is running two elections again. It's enough with the politics, but I'm going to jump in again. Um, for those people who like to applaud and champion Israel's remarkable record of democracy, you should know this. Italy for long has been the butt of political jokes when it comes to democracy. They've had, I think, 60 governments, if my numbering is correct, 60 governments since the uh, completion of the Second World War. Since uh, the beginning of the 21st century, uh, Italy has had, I believe, um, a total of eight governments or eight elections. Israel has had 13. And in the past two years, Israel has gone to the elections four times. Now, this is a dangerous precedent. We should all understand that because while elections are certainly the essential foundation of democratic life, fundamentally suggesting that it is the citizens who choose how they wish to be ruled. Of course, the caveat has to be put into place when we talk about that, because in the Western world today, we don't have pure democracies. In the United States, famously, everyone now knows about the Electoral College. In Canada and in Britain and elsewhere throughout the world, it operates under what's called the Westminster system. Essentially, what you see is that a president uh, or a prime minister, in Canada's case, uh, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau did not win a plurality of the votes. But by, because of the, um, of the uh, weird format, and I'll use the word weird, the weird format of the Westminster uh, first to the poll system, he was able to secure the premiership. And much like uh, what occurred four years ago in the United States, which was not the first time for the record, um, you have a president who does not win a majority of the, elector of the actual election of the people who vote, and yet, by the weird kind of um, and unfortunate architecture of the electoral system, they become president. But you don't want to go to, to the votes, to the polls, all the time. Now, I am not going to sit here and talk about what you can read in the paper, because you should read in the paper. And uh, my, my dear friend, Yossi Kainalevi, wrote a fantastic article on the elections and a profile of Bibi Netanyahu. It's available in the Times of Israel. You should definitely read it after Shabbat. So I'm not going to talk about that. I'm going to talk about two things. One, what brought us to the moment. And two, what brought us to the moment, what moment brought us to the moment's moment. Okay. As many of you know, since March of this year, the current Israeli government has been operating under what they call a national emergency government. Uh, Bibi Netanyahu entered into a coalition agreement with his prime rival, that being the former army chief of staff, Benny Gantz, who was leading a party called Kahol Levan, blue and white, uh, essentially bringing him into the fold and forming this national emergency government. And the foundation of the agreement was is that Bibi, for a year and a half, would operate as the prime minister. He would step back. Benny Gantz would step in. The reason why they used the 18 months, because it was assumed that it would take about 18 months for all of his numerous political, excuse me, legal problems. He has three, three indictments lodged against him. 
for corruption, amongst other things, and that by the end of the 18 months, that he would most probably be immersed in his legal issues, and then bidding gowns would come in. There was one little thing built into that agreement, though, and the agreement was is that if the government could not pass a budget, everything would blow up, meaning the coalition agreement would dissolve and you would need elections. Concurrent to that was one other thing, and that was also in the agreement, was whoever was put in charge of the Ministry of Justice would have to be by agreement of both sides, meaning that who would be in charge of the lawyers looking after the indictments of the prime minister, in this case, Benjamin Netanyahu. Benny Gantz wanted a fellow by the name of Avi Nisikorin, a legal guy and one of his guys. Bibi Netanyahu was absolutely opposed to it because he wanted his guy in there. In any event, this past week, that, the budget, the appointment to the Ministry of uh, Justice, everything fell apart and we're going to elections. One side of this would say to you that there is, a, um, that there is more than just a creeping kind of corruption that has settled into the current Prime Minister of the State of Israel. Unquestionably, the longest Prime Minister in the history of the state and unquestionably probably on par with Ben-Gurion in terms of the shadow that he casts currently over the state and unquestionably, as history is written, the shadow that he will cast over history. But as Thomas Hobbes famously said, that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts, absolutely. And while it is a discussion for an entirely different time and a worthy one at that, to talk about how power and politics and business and money, all those things can corrupt people in life. And people who look at the current state of the prime minister would certainly say, there's a problem there. And not, and not the least of which, this past week, his consigliere, what they call in the Israeli press, uh, Netanyahu's consigliere, his right man hand in the Likud political party, a uh, political figure known as Zeev Elkin, uh, he left. Zeev Elkin picked up and wrote a scathing resignation letter from the Likud party and also from the government against Benjamin Netanyahu, accusing him nothing short of manipulating and twisting the machinery of the government to serve his own interests. And he said, I cannot sit here any longer and be party to and he broke and he went to a new party that's being established by also a series of other uh, refugee Likudniks, as they call them. Um, and so in the elections, we're going to see exactly how this all plays out. But actually what I want to talk about is the story behind the story. And it came to me because I just finished a fantastic biography of Menachem Begin. And if you're interested in reading the book, you can email me after Shabbat. I'll be happy to send you the link. You see, Bibi doesn't think that he's corrupt. Now, I understand most corrupt people don't think they're corrupt. 
And yes, I understand also that Bibi is accused of not only being a person who's a master convincer of other people, but he's also a master convincer of himself that he's not doing anything wrong. But in the broader spectrum of things in the Israeli political world, and for that matter, in much of the Western world too, but particularly in Israel, there is no more left wing. The left wing in Israeli politics has completely collapsed. And what caused the left wing of the Israeli political system to collapse? It was Oslo. The Oslo Peace Accords, followed by the Second Intifada, the suicide bombings, the buses blowing up, the restaurants blowing up, malls being blown up, it completely shook and shattered the Israeli political world and Israel itself. It, it, it taught them that no matter what kind of peace agreement they're making, that all the promises that the left had floated to them, Shimon Perez and Yossi Beilin and all these other people, that if you would only make peace and give them, our enemies, what they wanted, that in fact we would have peace. As a result of that, uh, now for a good 20 years, there has been no effective Israeli left. There is no left-wing political world in Israel that, uh, that extends any kind of political influence over the country. But the political story in Israel is, is that until 20 years ago, well, actually until 1977, I'm going to correct myself, which was when Menachem Begin won the premiership, that the country was controlled by what they call the Labor Party, Ben-Gurion's party, amongst other parties. And the right wing, the Likud, the right wing of Israeli politics, were not only marginalized, they were terrorized. For those of you who had the good fortune to be in Israel, and I know everyone in this uh, beautiful sanctuary has had the good fortune to be in Israel, you know that if you make your way straight down Rehov Bogoshov, if you go right down Bogoshov, and you end up at the beach, it's a beautiful thought, I know. And you end up at the beach. <laughs> um, there is a andarta, there is a memorial to a boat called the Altalena. And the Altalena was a gunship that was brought in by uh, Menachem Begin. Um, uh, this is pre-state uh, to help arm um, the Irgun, which, was the, which is the military group that he used in opposition to the Haganah. The Haganah attacked it. Many people died, and um, it was a scar on the Israeli political landscape. And so some of a fair degree, when you hear that Bibi Netanyahu calls everyone who is not him, when you hear Netanyahu plastering his political opponents with the word smolanim, leftists, what is he saying? He's saying that everybody who doesn't support him is out to destroy the country. He's saying also that many of the right-wing memories in Israel is of them being pursued by the left-wing. And so when you call people left-wingers, you're screaming for survival. That's how he sees it. He doesn't believe that he's done anything wrong. Bibi Netanyahu actually thinks that other political leaders prior in Israel did far worse. 
But that should never be the standard of moral behavior, by the way, that people behave worse earlier than you. But more importantly, what he actually believes is that nobody can do the job that he does and that everyone who's opposed to him is going to destroy the country and that this is just yet another serial event in the long story of people trying to tear down the nationalist right-wing elements of Israeli society. And now that there is no effective left opposition in Israel, what do you actually see? All of his opponents are actually people who are refugees from his political party. How this is going to play out, we don't know. The, um, the early results from what you see in the, um, um, in the polls, the surveys, it looks highly, highly competitive. It looks suspicious whether or not if he's going to be able to secure the premiership. And of course, there is what they call a, um, a unknown card yet to be played. And the unknown card that you should look for when you're following the Israeli news over the next two to four weeks is this one name. The name is Gadi Eisenkot. Eisenkot is a former uh, chief of staff of the Israeli Armed Forces. Unlike Benny Gantz, he is a savvy, experienced person in both the military and in the political realm. And he stands to utterly shake up exactly where the election is going. If he joins that new political party founded by the uh, refugees from the Likud, all bets are off. And if you listen to the words that Bibi has been offering over the past week, he knows he's in the dangerous position. And he's responsible for it because he pushed the button. Last thought I want to share with you, because I am a rabbi. I'm not Brett Stevens from the New York Times. So <laughs> political, political reviews is not my strong suit. Uh, but I did want to bring you up to date on those things happening. Is this one thing, and I think it's connected to this story. And the story goes is that in the Torah portion, when Jacob and Joseph are reunited, we are told the ancient rabbis speak of that in advance of Joseph meeting his father Jacob, he sends messengers ahead with a gift to give to Jacob, his father, after decades of not seeing him. And the ancient rabbis ask, what was the gift that Joseph sent ahead to give to Jacob? And they said that it was an old bottle of wine. And why an old bottle of wine? An old bottle of wine because the bottle becomes dusty and aged over time. But the ancient rabbis say, the wine remains as pure and as pristine and as beautiful as the day that it was poured into the bottle. The message Joseph was saying is, despite everything that has happened to me, despite me being pursued by my brothers, despite me being put into jail, despite me now having all the power in the world, save for Pharaoh, I'm the same person. I'm unchanged. Don't look at the outside, look at the inside. And so that is our hope, that as we move through life and we're granted and given beautiful things, that we should be as pure and as good, untainted as the day we first came.